Welcome to the Public Morality. The January 6th committee recently convened for what might have been its last public hearing, climaxing with the committee unanimously voting to subpoena former President Donald Trump. The January 6th riots and the subsequent actions that culminated with the bipartisan hearings are emblematic of a nation whose democratic streams are being pulled at both ends. Some see the greatest threat to American democracy, while others see a partisan witch hunt. To make sense of all of this, we welcome back political analyst Joe Tuman. Joe Tuman, welcome back to the public morality. Brian, always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Uh, if you would assess the work of the January 6th committee, where did it work in your view? And were there some things that may have been lacking from your perspective? Well, I think actually that the, the, the sheer volume of material they worked through uh, and pieced uh, together um, was, was really extraordinary. They, they really literally did the work, uh, the background research work that the Justice Department was going to have to deal with. And um, I, I also very much applaud the fact that uh, um, we had bipartisan you know, contributions and uh, it was really the first time in a long time I've seen a, a prominent, you know, high-profile Republican work with prominent high-profile Democrats. And, and um, you know, the thing that seemed to unify them in that uh, spirit was very much uh, their, their awareness that Donald Trump was absolutely responsible for what happened on January 6th and that he's still not taking responsibility for it to this day. And uh, Representative Cheney, you know, stayed with this so long that she got uh, basically um, beaten in the race uh, back home for her. Um, but it, she made, I think, an immense contribution and she's still going to be a Republican and she'll probably vote the other way on different issues. But on the subject of Trump, um, I think they see eye to eye on that. Uh, and uh, so that was, a, I think, a, those uh, an additional positive out of this. You know, in terms of things that, that maybe didn't work so well, um, I'm a little bit sometimes flummoxed about, the, you know, the, the notion that uh, the January 6th commission was still, uh, or committee rather, was, was holding back on materials that they were going to refer to the Justice Department. They didn't want to just give it all up at once. And I think that has slowed the process down, but I, I think what's obvious is that, uh, uh, you know, the, the leaders of, of this committee wanted to control um, the, the storage and then the distribution of all the material they came across. And, you know, maybe that was, uh, I don't know if that was the smartest thing or not, because it is, it has dragged this out. Mr. Trump is still not indicted and he should be. Um, and that should have happened a long time ago, frankly. And that's something maybe I would have hoped that they would do differently. Uh, to, to that extent, how, how significant was it uh, that the committee unanimously voted to subpoena the former president? Um, most people that I talked to say it's between slim and none that he will show up. But is there, was that just ceremonial or is it, was there any significance to, to that effort? Well, I, I, I think it demonstrates first and foremost that uh, the, you know, all the members of the committee uh, saw this uh, identically. And as I, I indicated uh, in an earlier statement, you had 
Republican representation uh, on this uh, committee, and they all saw it the same way. So this was not uh, partisan in any particular respect. This was just um, everybody seeing the data and the information about Donald Trump exactly the same way. And if this was a jury, you know, it would not have been difficult to convince a jury on this. I mean, assuming that they were going and by and exposed to the same data and the same facts and information. And uh, so I, I think that that was very significant in, in this in the end. Um, but as I said, you know, this has dragged on for a bit. And uh, while I think the committee will be proud of the, the work that they've done in the end, it's important. Um, if Mr. Trump is not indicted and charged, and if he doesn't serve time for what he did, um, then this is very different in the end from uh, the example of Watergate, you know, where we had a president who was a terrible person, but he was at least honorable enough to resign when he saw what was coming. And uh, Donald Trump is no longer in office and carps and complains about having an election stolen from him, which is complete nonsense. Um, but unlike Nixon, he has not been honorable about this. He has not acknowledged at all anything that he did wrong when everything he did was not just wrong, it was illegal and in violation of our Constitution. Um, and that that saddens me that that uh, we have sort of a different result. And, you know, frankly, what Nixon did was terrible. But if we're comparing with what Trump did, it, Trump's was was much worse. Trump's transgressions resulted in the deaths of police officers. Trump's transgressions resulted in an assault on our capital. And let's be honest about the fact that uh, the goal of this was was not just to affect the election outcome and give Trump another four years that he didn't deserve. Um, it was a coup. It was an attempt to overthrow our government, to, to uh, turn democracy upside down. And we're still dealing with that baloney, that BS today. Um, because the Republicans have gone out of their way to, to uh, try and fix uh, future elections, um, to put them in control by transferring um, decision-making about election outcomes and, and maybe the Electoral College as well uh, to the states instead of having the federal government in control of this. And um, I think that's a huge mistake as well. Uh, putting January 6th, uh, the riots, along with the subsequent hearings in, in, in the context of the American democracy. In your view, will this be something that has a shelf life that expires at the end of the next news cycle? Or might um, the work of the committee uh, have a, a much longer importance, your thoughts? I, 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 I think the work of the committee, including the bipartisan nature of this, meaning that in this instance, um, that there were people who who saw the political situation differently, who agreed, nevertheless, on uh, uh, on on the mechanics of what was going on, and thankfully, they also, regardless of whether they were Republican or Democrat or or, or independent or whatever, they still saw the corrosive effect of what was going on on our democracy the same way. And, and we're still, you know, even though we're now past the committee, we're still looking at this the same way. Democracy is, is not a guarantee uh, going forward. Uh, it's, it's, it hasn't been protected as much as it should be. It's fragile. And there are still people out there uh, who 
have bought into Mr. Trump's lie, the big lie, um, who would like another crack at this. And, and maybe it'll be a different kind of coup next time. Maybe it will be uh, encouraging all the state or secretaries of state and the states that, that ordinarily control at the state level what's going on. Maybe they'll have control of the Electoral College uh, as well and in, in ways that uh, can illegally affect the outcome of this. Joe Biden won the last election, not by a little bit. He won by millions and millions of votes. And Donald Trump continues to stress that it was he who actually won and that the election was stolen from him. And what you should know about Trump by now is that whenever he says something, he usually means the exact opposite of what he's saying. So when he says the election was stolen from me, what he really meant was I'm trying to steal the election. And, and so it goes. He's not that hard to read. He's actually uh, kind of dumb that way. And uh, the sad part is he's so heavily invested with all these MAGA people um, who, who have bought into this nonsense that they're afraid to do anything that he's opposed to and uh, uh, to not do something that he supports. Um, and so they're not independent thinkers anymore. They're the worst people who should be part of this process because they can't think for themselves. And uh, that has produced some nasty results. And, and we'll have to wait and see if, if voters, including independents, who are probably the swing voters in this, um, you know, will do something about this and unelect a number of these MAGA people. Uh, and put other people who are perhaps more neutral or at least, you know, fair-minded uh, in office. I, I was thinking as I was preparing to have this conversation with you that unlike, say, Vietnam or Watergate or the 2003 Iraq invasion, Congress didn't convene, in, um, to, to, uh, in, in my memory, um, to conduct what I would call a lessons learned. And so in that context, would, would, would the January 6th hearings really be the first attempt, at least in our lifetime, of, of trying to make sense of a seminal event? I think that is the case. And, and one of the, the aspects of, of this, which is different and maybe even different from Watergate, which was supposed to be, you know, the traditional standard bearer or comparison for what happened here, um, but you know the real difference here is they have gone out of their way not just to dig up the research, but they subpoenaed an awful lot of people, and a large number of those people turned out um, and testified because they were aware of the fact that a failure to testify, um, and also by the way to appear and not uh, uh, you know testify under oath, um, was was going to be a problem. And uh, one of the good things that happened here uh, that made this different, for example, from Watergate was um, there was a whole bunch of that that happened. And there were people who you would not have thought would have testified who did testify. And, you know, some of them, like uh, Clarence Thomas's wife, were frankly not very helpful, um, but at least she showed up. I will give her something for that, uh, even though she's a bit wackadoodle, I think, with a lot of the things she said. Um, and, you know, in context, comparing this, as I said before, to other episodes uh, in, in our American history, um, you had a lot of people participating. They were aware of, of the, the, the gravitas of the moment, um, the significance of this, the, the damage that would be done if, if people didn't show up to testify and if they didn't testify with honesty. And um, 
I think back to an earlier point that you were asking about regarding Donald Trump and would he testify? I think this is part of the reason, if you go back and go through the news accounts of this, uh, Trump wrote a nasty letter uh, to the January 6th Council on the committee. I don't know if you had a chance to read it. I did. But mostly it was just a rant, a grievance rant of all things in which he said, well, how come the January 6th committee isn't studying the fact that my, my election was stolen from me by the Democrats? And, you know, he just, he, he, he descends into his own kind of um, derangement at this point. And, uh, uh, but one of the things you'll note, if you read his letter to the committee, which is a long letter, by the way, it's a very long letter, he doesn't say whether he'll show up to testify or not. And the committee has made it very clear that if he's coming, he has to testify under oath. And if his lawyers are worth the money he's paying them, they know that if he says that he's going to testify under oath and doesn't, now we're in a new world of hurt for him because it's not just um, contempt of Congress or something like that. It's, it's perjury and it's a felony and you go to prison for that. And so I, I take it as uh, something worth noting going forward that Trump hasn't uh, said whether he'll appear or not. He's just, but he is willing to engage them, even if he's talking nonsense about past election grievances. And uh, I also find, by the way, since we're on the subject for just a moment, I'll be very quick about this, um, that, that uh, you know, in the last couple of days over this weekend, uh, I'm sure you saw this as well in the news, uh, Trump went on a, a, a derangement uh, binger, if you will, uh, accusing American Jews and Israeli Jews of not being appreciative enough of him. And then having the gall to, uh, to say out loud that he would make a better prime minister and he thinks he could win the prime minister shot in, uh, in the next election in Israel. And I, I laughed so hard when I read this because I, I guess he doesn't know that if you want to lead the Jewish state, I'm pretty sure you have to be Jewish. And the last time I checked, Donald Trump is not Jewish. His daughter is Jewish because she converted after marrying Jared. Um, but that doesn't make the father Jewish. And so the idea that a non-Jew could go and run the Jewish state makes no sense. It's another example of his derangement. And the fact that he's demanding that these people pay him homage or, or um, that they appreciate him, or otherwise he won't do things for Israel. Uh, and, he, and if you read his stuff, he was, again, I'm not going to repeat them because they're very offensive. He was trafficking in, in anti-Semitic tropes the whole time as well. He's, I mean, he's, he sounded more like a Julius Caesar than a Donald Trump, you know, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's, that sort of thing. And you have to wonder what they're thinking in Israel, where they appreciate American support. But now they're wondering, what are we doing with this guy? And OK, so his daughter married. A member of the tribe, but how is that going to help us? Because Mr. Trump himself is is really acting kind of crazy in, in all of this. To refresh some who may have forgotten, wasn't part of the motivation behind the January 6th riots a response to something former Vice President Mike Pence didn't do that he did not have the authority to do? Yes. And, and, and the quick answer to that question is yes. And, and um, all that, I mean, this is another aspect of, of the problems. Um, uh, uh, in addition to 
you know, having Trump watch television for three or four hours and most of that television being news coverage of, of the violence that was going on inside the Capitol and uh, on, all over Washington, D.C., um, in addition to all that, we know from uh, what happened that day uh, that there were also uh, fake electors, electors uh, that had been sent there. They weren't uh, approved to be that by the states that they came from. That was all fake and fraudulent, frankly, which also, in this instance, um, uh, made it a, a, an additional kind of felony. And there will be, I think, charges for that as well. Um, and we can't really forget uh, in this discussion as well, Myron, the participation of these state militia groups, these, you know, wannabe army people who, you know, behaving like children, they dress up in military uniforms and they have their helmets and, and you know, they show up with automatic weapons like that's okay. Well, if you're Lauren Bulbert or Marjorie Taylor Greene, you probably think that's cute and sexy, but the rest of us look at that and think it's complete insanity. And it's very clear that they brought those weapons because they weren't just planning an insurrection. They were planning a violent insurrection, a violent coup. And, uh, and Mr. Trump's, I think, transgression here is that as president of the United States, he's supposed to preserve the republic. He's supposed to protect our democracy. He did neither. And there must be an accounting for that. He has to be held accountable for that. And, um, you know, the only thing that puts some of this in check going forward, Byron, is the fact that we have midterm elections coming up. If you've been following the polls in the last couple of days, um, it now appears that uh, uh, inflation concerns and frankly, a, a strike one, strike two, strike three from the Fed in trying to uh, attack inflation with, with the changes they were making has so far not produced the results that I think uh, Joe Biden was hoping for. And this tragedy in all of this is where that's concerned is that uh, the president of the United States has absolutely zero to do with inflation. He doesn't cause it. Um, inflation in this most recent uh, episode was caused by a number of things, starting with COVID, but also uh, Russia declaring war on Ukraine. And let's not forget the fact that Ukraine as a country was one of the largest producers of wheat on the planet and also the second largest producer of oil and gas as certainly one of the big producers for Europe out of that. And when you had those things uh, under attack during a war that Ukraine didn't ask for, they got attacked by Russia. Um, you had supply chain uh, issues that came from that. And to say that Joe Biden is somehow responsible for that, Joe Biden didn't declare war on Ukraine. Vladimir Putin did. That should be the person we're talking about. And I find it more than ironic that the Republican Party um, seems to like autocracy, um, is not afraid to, to praise or, or honor Vladimir Putin, of all people, and uh, to invite other autocrats like Mr. Orban over to speak to people here. I can't imagine anything worse than that. You know, it's, it's like inviting Adolf Hitler to come over during the Second World War and, and talk to us about why the Nazis are better or something like that. I mean, that's how ridiculous this is. And uh, so uh, today, you know, there's a very good chance um, that uh, we may lose 
uh, either the Senate or the House. And uh, I, I think it's going to be harder for the Senate, uh, for Republicans to take that. But they ha- appear to have a good shot at the House. And a lot of that has to do with uh, the rise of inflation as a more significant issue, for example, than ab- abortion was four weeks ago. And, and it now appears that uh, some but not all women voters are sort of uh, checking in and saying inflation is now becoming a, a more important problem for me than abortion. Uh, independent voters uh, also apparently seem to be trending away on that. It won't be huge. It's still a very, very tight race, and it could go the other way for Democrats. But um, you would have expected after the brouhaha about uh, killing Roe versus Wade um, that you would have had more women voters uh, staying with this issue. And, and what's happened is um, inflation is this problem. And uh, while Biden didn't cause it, uh, presidents, as I said before, they, this isn't, these aren't the kinds of problems they typically uh, uh, solve. That's usually what the Fed does. And, um, and the Fed so far has not done a good job in, in, in dealing with this. But it's not, you know, it's the same problem. It's not something that they created. It's just something they have to try and fix. Well, Joe, I mean, what you're raising is sort of this strident era that we're in, that it's uh, the choice, like, inflation is an immediate concern. Yes. Uh, January 6th is, a, is, is, is actually a more long-term democratic concern. And there used to be a point in my view, where the large democratic concerns were preeminent. Um, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. We sort of uh, are living out Madison's worst fears about factions. And those are the preeminent concerns. And I'd like to have you address those. I, I mean, if we don't turn the ship around and, and democracy is preeminent, then where are we headed? Well. Um... I, I don't know how quickly you uh, uh, solve inflation um, as, as if we're focused on that as, a, as an issue. But it strikes me that an end to the war in Ukraine is one way to start that. And, and we have uh, indirectly been trying to, if you want to think of it this way, uh, affect, for example, inflation uh, simply by supplying the Ukrainians um, with advanced uh, weaponry and technology, which has really allowed the Ukrainians who are already, you know, they have a, a substantially good military. They're well-trained and, and they also, by the way, they've got a dog in this fight because it's their survival that they're fighting for. When you're fighting for your survival, you fight a little harder. Um, then if you're like being in Russia, you don't, you don't want to be part of this in the first place and now you're being conscripted. Those people aren't trying very hard in Russia. They would like out of the whole thing. Um, so that's one of the things that may, in the end, resolve this, although I doubt it's going to resolve it before we have a midterm election or a presidential election. And, uh, you know, the other aspect of this, as I said before, if we're talking about fuel prices, gasoline and uh, petroleum and, and the like, um, you know, ending this conflict in Ukraine is, is also pivotal and key to that. And getting the ships going again and delivering uh, the cargo. And, and, you know, I think if Biden made one mistake, at least we're 
fuel prices were concerned was he probably made the decision to go ahead and, and drill in Alaska and open up the drilling that we were doing in other parts of the country. Again, we had stopped doing that because of climate change worries. Um, and I think he came to that decision a little bit late uh, in the end. Um, so I would say that it's probably not accurate to, to blame him for being uh, the cause of that. We didn't cause inflation. Um, but it is fair to criticize him for not jumping on this a little bit faster. And I don't, but, you know, in fairness to him, I don't think anybody saw how bad this would become and how much of an issue it would be. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, but you mixed something in a, in a previous answer, uh, it, you know, Victor Orban going to CPAC to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I, you know, when, when Putin initially invaded Ukraine, there were some, not not all, not not necessarily Republican elected leaders, but there were some right of center who were offering the contrarian perspective. Well, you know, maybe Putin has a point here. Um, I couldn't imagine in 1980 someone saying, "Well, maybe Brezhnev has a point here." Um, yeah. That has, I mean, we're in a different, we're in just a different space. And can you comment on? on just that different space? Because that, that would be a deal breaker, you know, 40 years ago. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I, I think what we're, by comparison, dealing with now, which makes negotiations a delicate issue, is that uh, uh, Putin at this point, I think, has is, is substantively, I mean, and really significantly failed in, in what he thought would be a very short, uh, war with Ukraine. It's it's now several months into it. Um, he is reduced at this point uh, to conscripting uh, young people who don't want any part of this war in Russia. I'm saying, and you have uh, and they're and they're rushing these people. Forget the pun. <laughs> they're rushing these people out to Ukraine as quick as they can, only to find um, that, uh, they want these, many of these troops want to desert as quickly as possible. They, they've all been seeking, um, uh, passports or, or, or exit visas to go to other countries. Uh, they don't want to be part of this. And, uh, I think for many of them, they don't see anything good that can happen for them. I'm talking about the conscripts at this point. So, uh, Trump, not, pardon me, not Trump, but uh, Putin is, again, that was a Freudian slip. Um, uh, Putin is, is reduced at this point to, to using terrorism, basically, to try and, and uh, conclude this war in a way that favors him. He's attacking civilians, which is a war crime, and he's targeting children. And uh, these are non-combatants. And the definition of terrorism is usually, almost always, politically motivated violence. Um, that targets non-combatants. That's what this is. And uh, so Putin is guilty of terrorism and uh, there will be a reckoning in the end of this unless he decides to pull a Hitler and commit suicide. Putin will be charged with war crimes when this is done. I have no doubt about that at all. And there are 30 countries now who are members of NATO who will make quite certain um, that he is held to account for what he did. But that's often in the future still at this point. And, and, and sadly, as I said before, Putin believes that the best way to fight a war is to kill innocent people and, and scare or terrify. That's why we call it terrorism, terrify other people. And uh, 
these are things that are radically different. And, and, and to make it all worse, Putin continues to threaten to use nuclear weapons. But what he has to remember, and I, whomever will be the next president, I hope it will uh, uh, be someone with a level head on this, um, you know, needs to remind people that nobody wins a nuclear war if, if we get drawn into one. Nobody wins one of those. You know, all that happens when you have a nuclear exchange is everybody loses. Now, I'm going to tie this back to the climate that we're in here in America. Yeah. That many Republicans, as I recall, not all, but many Republicans roundly condemned Watergate. Yeah. I don't get the same feeling about January 6th. And the Republican National Committee dubbed those riots as legitimate political discourse. Talk about the pressure that such divergent views has on a two-party democratic system, if you will. Well, um, the, the Republican among some Republicans, claim that uh, this, what happened on January 6th was just a, a First Amendment protected right to assemble, right to free speech, right to protest, that sort of stuff. But that's only if the people you have engaged in that are peacefully assembling, are peacefully demonstrating. When you've got people showing up with automatic weapons that they had concealed in different parts of the grounds around the Capitol building and taking those weapons out, you're not doing that in that situation because you're trying to peacefully demonstrate. You're doing that because you're part of a violent insurrection, a coup, something that violates our Constitution. They're, they're completely, you know, that what they did is completely different from the claim that they made that it was a peaceful demonstration. Anybody walking outside could see that it wasn't just police officers being killed. It was people being beaten savagely, um, uh, sprayed uh, in their eyes with different kinds of chemicals. Um, they were being beaten with poles. Uh, they were being uh, wedged into doors while people tried to break their necks or to, to blind them. Um, this isn't the behavior of a peaceful uh, people in a peaceful demonstration. It's it's an insurrection. It's a coup. It's an attempt to overthrow our government. It's illegal in that way. And so um, uh, you, you asked me to compare them you know, with, with what they said. And then the reality of it is um, you have a lot of Republicans who don't want to acknowledge their own responsibility in this. And there are lots of people who were very much aware of what was going on. Uh, they met privately to plan this ahead of time. Um, several of them came days early uh, to the Capitol building and asked, you know, to be part of a tour. And what they were really doing was was figuring out um, where some of the people like Nancy Pelosi had their office or where other people would be and how you could control their exits. They intended to kill some of those people. And let's not forget that the mantra on that day was hang Mike Pence. And they even went to the extent of building a gallows outside and hanging a noose from that, which should be, you know, ample evidence that this was not a peaceful demonstration. This was an attempted coup with an intent to kill people, including elected officials. We should take it much more seriously as a consequence. And, 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 and I want you to stay with that, but and I guess I, what, one of my, my concerns here, one of my questions to you, is how, if, if, we, if that's a strand of the Democratic Republic, 
how can a two-party system survive going forward when that type of behavior can be a strand? Well, the that's a really good question, and and uh, the, here are my answers to you. The, the first thing I would say is, with respect to the Republican Party, um, it's already a party that is internally in a, a, a kind of a division of its own. Um, you have MAGA Republicans who basically are just people who do whatever Donald Trump says. They they. I don't mean to sound rude, but they're basically mindless. They don't, they don't have their own opinions or, or at least they're not uh, brave enough to express them about things. Uh, if they feel disagree disagreement to Trump, they don't say so. And they're, because Trump controls uh, much of what happens. And if he doesn't like you, he will, I know he's the first guy to make primary a verb. He'll primary you. He'll, he'll back somebody who could beat you in a, an election and deny you the opportunity to be reelected. Those Republicans are basically just mindless drones doing whatever Trump asked for. Um, and uh, by comparison, um, on the other side of this, you know, one of the things that we got out of January 6th, if you watch the video on this, um, was the fact that there were Republicans and Democrats, and I'm talking about elected officials who did get together. Um, because they are aware of the fact that there was about to be a peaceful, it was supposed to be a peaceful uh, transfer of power. And uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi, even though she was criticized you know, for not doing enough by Steve Scalise while he was standing right next to her, she said, he said this, and she was on the phone talking to uh, Washington, D.C. and talking to people in the Defense Department saying we need National Guard people. And, and she got the job done. She was calm and she was in control. But the good thing that came out of that day was there were Republicans there as well, including Mitch McConnell, because nobody wanted to see this devolve to the kind of violence that they were planning. And so to your question, you know, is it a different Republican party? It is. It's a, it's a party that's fractured. It's a party that with, you know, with the old timers there is still a party that can work with other people when all, everybody recognizes it's in their mutual best interest to work together. But the sad part of this is, I think, um, is, is really the first part of what I said, which is that there are too many of these people still in the party, the Republican Party, uh, who are subservient to Donald Trump um, and who are afraid to cross him, basically, or to express a different point of view. And as long as that's the case, um, you know, it'll only be the old timers, the people who've been in office for a long time that'll work with the people on the other side of the aisle, the Democrats, Republicans and Democrats. Otherwise, for as long as Donald Trump remains a presence in the Republican Party and in politics in general, um, it's really going to be hard to get a broader kind of bipartisan consensus on all the issues that Washington is facing today. Now, now, Joe, I, I know that you keep your finger on the pulse of not only national elections, but statewide as well as local. Frankly, I, yeah. don't, know how you, I don't know how you hold it all, but that notwithstanding, um, think about immediately following January 6th and what you knew prior to the committee forming. Um, did the committee's work illuminate you in any way? Like, I didn't know that. Or, oh, my God. I mean, talk about that. Well, I, I, I think that, that uh, what became more surprising as, as things went on um, 
was the focus on on Mr. Trump, as I said before, and documenting um, uh, things that most of us had sort of suspected was the case. Um, early on, it, it seemed pretty obvious uh, that there were a number of high-profile electeds on the Republican side um, who seemed very interested and kind of involved uh, in this, but they weren't talking publicly about it. And so I'm, I'm talking about individuals, for example, like Jim Jordan, um, who was all over the place um, and uh, was dumb enough to make phone calls where, you know, whom he called and when he called could be traced rather easily um, and, and uh, or checking his texts and the rest of it. Uh, they began to find a pattern. He wasn't the only one. There were a lot of people like this. And uh, these were all Republicans who have not wanted to participate and cooperate um, with uh, the January 6th committee because not just because what the group did as a whole was wrong, but also because what they were doing uh, was participating in the formation of a coup attempt. And these guys are also, I mean, Donald Trump's not the only one who's facing legal jeopardy because of this. Any one of those people can be as well. And I think what the committee offered them as a way out was a testify under oath, tell us everything you knew, and maybe we'll think twice about a criminal referral to uh, the Justice Department. Now, what most of them maybe haven't figured out yet is that you don't actually need a criminal referral for the Justice Department to go after you. If the Justice Department has evidence of your participation in a coup attempt, they will arrest you and charge you anyway. And so uh, I think there are a number of those uh, Republicans who are still uh, involved. They're more quiet than they were right now. They might quietly be Trump backers, but they're not going out of their way to draw attention to themselves because they know that with the end of the January 6th committee hearing, there will be decisions made about whether or not the Justice Department is going to charge and also, you know, a question of who you charge. You know, it's one thing to go after Donald Trump right after he's done being president and raise this issue of, well, should we charge former presidents? It's another thing to go after a Jim Jordan or somebody else who's not quite as significant politically, you know, as a representative in the House of Representatives or something like that. It's a, it's, that's not a big deal to charge them. That's happened before. And so I think all those people who are still involved with this are very nervous about how they might be held to account and they will be held to account. That's, that's a guarantee. You know, I, I, I just got to say, Joe, that one of the most chilling uh, moments for me in, in, in watching the January 6th hearings was the allegation um, that during, during these, the violence, Kevin McCarthy reached out to former President Trump. Kevin McCarthy, House Minority Leader, reached out to yeah. former President Trump. And uh, like, you got to stop these people. And the response was, well, Kevin, I guess these people are more upset about the election than you are. Yeah. I, 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 I don't, I mean, you mentioned earlier about this, uh, about this not being, this sort of being beyond Watergate. I mean, that's, that's beyond Nixonian right there. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how that can be acceptable in, in, a, in a democratic society. It, 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 it can't be. It clearly can't be. It's acceptable in an autocratic state. It's, it's acceptable in a dictatorship. Um, but this is a democracy and, and we are a republic. And it's, it's, you know, the president's job, if we're talking about Trump, is to preserve the republic and protect our democracy. 
this was neither. This was the exact opposite of that. This was an assault on our democracy. It was an attack on our republic, a threat to our republic. To, 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 that, uh, to that in the epicenter uh, uh, of the January 6th riots remains, in my view, inaccurate statements of a stolen election. Um, January 6th notwithstanding, um, you sort of alluded to this earlier, but we've witnessed a number of Republican-led state legislatures working to undermine voter integrity based on the, in my view, questionable logic that they're trying to preserve democracy. Could one conclude that regardless of the post-January committee outcome, the long-term damage to our democracy has already been done? Well, it, it, uh, uh, I don't know that I'd say long-term, uh, like set in stone. I think that, that uh, from my perspective, the damage that's been done is showing how easy it is for this to happen in the first place. And, and uh, because Mr. Trump has not yet been charged um, to this point, you know, one of, one of the, the problems with, not, with, uh, with Merrick Garland not yet having taken that step to make uh, an indictment of Trump, um, it almost appears sometimes um, as if they're going to let this slide. And that's a bigger threat to our democracy because not only have uh, the past people who were engaged in this before shown how it can be done, but we, if we have a Department of Justice that doesn't move on this quickly, it's also acting as if, as I said before, they're getting a pass or, or the silence from the Justice Department is going to legitimize what they did. And uh, we can't have that. It, 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 what, what happened there is clearly unlawful illegal, unconstitutional, and uh, not something we can tolerate. So I'm, I have faith, though, that Mr. Garland, uh, uh, our, our attorney general, will do the right thing in the end and uh, charge. I, I, I'm certain that he's fearful of what may happen afterwards. Trump has threatened violence if anything happens in the way of charging him. But that's just a threat. And those kinds of threats, by the way, can be dealt with. Um, and if there is to be violence, this time we won't wait to bring in the National Guard. You have the National Guard there. It's what you have to do. You have to anticipate that uh, this won't be the last time somebody tries something this stupid. And all the Republicans, at least uh, and at the level of Jim Jordan and the others, have shown is in Washington, D.C. still to this day, there's a whole bunch of stupid. And um, we hope that, you know, smarter people and calmer minds will, will be the ones that went out at the end. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned Mayor Garland earlier, and I know there are a lot of people left of center frustrated that he has not indicted the former president. Um, that's a lot, I mean, historically speaking, and not to defend uh, the attorney general, but but just indicting a former president is a lot easier said than done. And oh, it's it a big deal. Yeah, requires some deliberation. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I'm I'm totally agreeing with you. It, it's it's a it's a very big deal because uh, even if the person you're going after, you know, looks pretty bad, looks like they're, they're dirty. Um, uh, the truth is. Um, 
a former president is, uh, if a former president is indicted, I mean, this is the argument that will be made. Then the next time the other side is in control of the White House or is in control of uh, the House and the Senate, um, they'll be sure to indict a Democratic former president or something like that if they find something that uh, justifies it because it, it becomes a, a, a silly game of, of you know, you, you stuck us last time, so this time we're going to stick you, that sort of thing. And that's really not the way our legal system should work. You should be held to account when you've done something wrong. And it can be demonstrated. I mean, this is really, I think, the value of the January 6th committee because they meticulously, through thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of documents, um, they documented everything they said. And uh, frankly, if, if uh, Garland wants to, to uh, press his case, he'll do so. My, my read on him, by the way, is, although I wish he would move a little faster too, um, is that uh, having been a former prosecutor himself, I think he recognizes that the smart way to go after Trump, if he's going to go after him, and I think he will, um, is not to go after Trump specifically at the beginning, but rather start by going around um, by indicting the people around Trump, the people who are sort of peripheral, like a Jim Jordan, and then work your way to the core from there. What happens when you start charging people like a Jim Jordan um, is that when they're threatened with prison time or whatever, they will, they will change their tune. They'll testify under oath. They'll acknowledge what they did and what they'll hope to get is a reduced sentence or perhaps turn to state's evidence and testify uh, against their colleagues. I mean, they save their own skin this way. This is how it works. If Jordan, um, if Merrick Garland just charged Trump and nothing else, you can see how that would cause, uh, it would create the appearance that this was just about Trump, when in point of fact, it's Trump plus a whole bunch of people. Go after everybody around him first and work your way to the core, and you end up with a result that probably is not going to bring you violence because uh, you know, the evidence will be overwhelming. And the January 6th committee already has this evidence, it's just stuff that they need to transfer to the Department of Justice. And I think once that's accomplished, Garland will methodically and slowly work his way to the middle. And, and hopefully the end result will be clear. If in fact the Republican party does take the house, I, I think it's one would not uh, qualify as Notre Dame to suggest that the January 6th committee would be dead. Oh yeah, um, for sure. Beyond that, though, is there, if, 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 if uh, Merrick Garland is to uh, pursue these matters, since the House controls the purse, is there anything that the Republican House could do that would maybe derail some of the work that uh, Attorney General Garland would do if, in fact, he was going to uh, indict the former president and those around him? Well, yes. I mean, if uh, obviously enough, if uh, uh, if Republicans uh, take the House, um, they will clearly uh, uh, end the committee. And the committee's already aware of that, which is, again, part of the reason, as I said before, that they have controlled uh, who gets to see the, the documents that they've done. Um, and they've been kind of quiet about how much information they're sharing with the Department of Justice. And I will tell you, in the last couple of weeks, um, there has been a slight change in tune in the committee, and they have, they have transferred over a lot more information they have not talked about publicly, which indicates to me that what I said before, um, Garland is, is 
going to go after all of them, but he'll, he'll start with the people who are the least likely to, you know, when they get arrested to create a violent demonstration or something like that, the Jim Jordans of this world, he's going to work his way to the center to Trump. And uh, the fact that Trump is, is not saying whether he'll testify or not to me suggests that he probably will. I'm sure he's aware of the fact that if he is indicted, he will serve prison time. It's in his interest, frankly, to testify and hope for something lesser in the way of a prosecution. Finally, I'm going to ask you to put your prognosticator hat on for just a moment. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm wondering, and this is merely a speculation on my part. Hmm. Uh, I, I think what we've seen 2016 and beyond is that polling is not as accurate as it once was. Uh, given that, could there be a number of what, of what I call de facto Democrats, not necessarily people wedded to the Democratic Party and their platform, but de facto Democrats who say enough is enough, who... Um, sort of push this for uh, the Democrats in the House of Representatives? Is that even a possibility? Yeah, I think that's accurate. And, and uh, there are, I think there's no shortage of, of people who are, are uh, Democrats, um, but they're, in reality, they're independents as well. And, and so um, uh, you've, you've got some people like Joe Manchin who, who really more independent that he is uh, a Democrat and he doesn't always vote in line with the other Democrats. But you have people like that in the party, uh, in both parties, actually. Uh, and and uh, so your, your question, though, I want to make sure I answer the question the correct way. You're, you're asking, can those people have an impact on... Will, will uh, that be enough? Will those people, I'm calling the fact that Democrats is just sort of the, the name I've given them, yeah. Um, could there be enough of those to possibly give the House to Democrats in spite of what recent polling is suggesting? Is what I'm asking. It's, it's possible. It's possible. Um, uh, I, I think the other possibility uh, in this is that uh, you also have, um, as I said before, independent voters um, who uh, or pardon me, in, in, independents rather, who, who align themselves with, uh, with Democrats, Republicans, who may be the ones who, uh, in this instance, produce that kind of outcome. But I, I think uh, for the Republican Party uh, on this as well, um, there's a sizable number of people inside the party. I mentioned to you before the MAGA people who sort of blindly follow whatever Trump says. But there are today... Um, a sizable number of old school Republicans um, who sort of remember the Republican Party as being, you know, pro law enforcement, um, uh, anti taxes, um, you know, sort of the, the basic stuff that they accuse the Democrats of, of not doing a good job with. And uh, they sort of, sort of think back to the time, for example, of Ronald Reagan, um, who sort of painted that kind of picture. And uh, it's not what you have today with your standard non-Trump Republicans. I'm, I'm not talking about the MAGA people now. I'm just talking about other registered Republicans. And there are a lot of those people, especially who are older as voters. And, and they're a great part of the population because they actually turn out to vote. And uh, they take it seriously. 
Um, there are a sizable number of those people who are tired of Trump, uh, who feel that Trump is sort of branded being Republican um, as a negative um, and, and his own behavior from a wild exaggerations to telling lies to doing things like he did this weekend, insulting Jews um, in America or in Israel. Um, they look at him and they think this is kind of a joke at this point. And uh, I think they're the other Republicans to be looking at, people who are registered Republicans but don't identify with MAGA, who don't identify with Donald Trump, who find Trump to be a clown, frankly, and uh, someone who's a bit of an embarrassment to the party. I think the question is, will those people be the ones in the end who deny the MAGA people a majority uh, and deny Donald Trump uh, any more of a significant role now in trying to control Republicans in the Senate and the House? That's the group to watch. Joe Tillman, my friend, and uh, who really, really, I mean, you're not even Joe Tillman anymore. You're just August's grandfather. We'll <laughs> Thank you, sir, once again for joining us on the Public Morality. I'm, I'm always honored to be in, in conversation with you, sir. Well, thank you, Byron. It's, it's a pleasure. Uh, you always ask great questions that I have to think carefully about. And, <laughs> and <laughs> one of these days, you'll be out here and I'll drag you out to the farm and you can meet my grandson. Hang out. The Public Morality welcomes your comments. You can contact me at Byron at PublicMorality.org. That's Byron, B-Y-R-O-N at PublicMorality.org. You can follow me on Facebook as well as Twitter. The archive broadcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Prime, and SoundCloud. Those listening to the Paul McRally on WSNC can now listen on its app. Using your mobile device, simply go to your application page, search WSNC 90.5, and click open to listen from anywhere. And once again, I want to thank Elvin Jenkins and Michael Burns at WGAB in Huntsville, Alabama for allowing us to broadcast the Paul McRally at their studios. The Public Rally is produced at WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University. For all of us at The Public Morality, I'm Byron Williams.